630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot, save Talbot. Rebound, top of the blue paint. Wrist shot, Martinez, save Talbot. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the head. 12 seconds, wrist shot, Martinez. Save made by Cam Talbot. And here come the Oilers, 2-1-1 to win it. McDavid in for the left-hand side. Drysaddle waits. There's the center pass. What timer Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. All right, so the story we're keeping an eye on tonight, Sidney Crosby leaving the game. Game three between Pittsburgh and Washington. They're about 12 minutes into the first period. No score yet. Of course, the Penguins are up 2-0 in the series. This just happening about uh, 15 minutes ago. Crosby taking the puck to the net. Just watching a replay. Kind of was sliding down to his knees as he went across. Matt Niskanen coming back and a uh, big two-handed cross-check to the side of Crosby's head. Niskanen has been ejected from the game. And obviously, with uh, I mean, it's it was a pretty heavy blow, regardless. I think of your concussion history, but obviously Crosby has had some, so he is uh, out of the game, and we'll keep an eye on that. I don't know if he's going to return from that one. The Capitals, by the way, uh, didn't have to kill off all of the five minutes because uh, Malk had got a penalty to make it four on four for a while, and now. The Capitals on a two-man advantage. So we'll keep an eye on that one as they try to fight back into the series. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Inside Sports on 630. Chad, of course, you can reach me by texting 630-630. You can call 780-496-0063. A lot to talk about tonight in the wake of a tough loss for your Edmonton Oilers in Game 3 of their first-round series against the Anaheim Ducks. Game 4, not until Wednesday. We'll have it on 630. Chad, face-off show at 6, puck drop at 8. There will be a Game 5 in Anaheim on Friday. The times for that one, 6 and 8.30 face-off show and face-off. So Crosby up for the Hart Trophy, one of three finalists. The others, Columbus goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky and a young man you've seen play several times here in Edmonton. It's flicked to the far corner. Trocek tried to center, stolen away by Drysaddle. Eight seconds to go. McDavid's going to have a breakaway to win it. He's over the line. Backhander But now the Red Wings, Mantha over the line, a drop by Zetterberg, who's quietly had a good year, and a block shot, and here comes Connor McDavid. He's got his man beat to the net. Backhander score! Connor McDavid, coast to coast, tucks the backhander home. McDavid a steal. Rich shot score! This game is tied! Connor McDavid from the left circle! McDavid, 100 points in 82 games to lead the NHL, 11 points ahead of Sidney Crosby, who was the leading goal scorer in the NHL with 44. Bobrovsky had a impressive in season himself, a 931 save percentage, tops in the league. He won 41 games. That was third in the NHL behind Braden Holtby and Cam Talbot, who each won 42. I would think McDavid is the favorite to win this award. He would be the third Oiler to get the heart if he does. It would be the 10th time an Oiler got the heart. Wayne Gretzky won it 
eight times, eight consecutive years. Every year, 80 to 87, Mark Messier won it in 1990. The awards are June 21st in Las Vegas, and Todd McClellan will be representing the Oilers as well. He's been nominated for Coach of the Year. Washington has scored, by the way, on their two-man advantage. Backstrom getting his fourth of the playoffs at 13.05. So... They uh, take a one nothing lead in that game. Jay Bueller texting in. He says, in Crosby's case, how long is the concussion protocol? Well, it's, it's as long as they take to determine that either he can't come back to the game or that he can. I mean, when McDavid was pulled out of that game against Minnesota, what did he miss? The last six minutes of the, of the second period, and then he came back. I mean, they got to go into the quiet room. They get, do some tests. It's compared to their baseline results from before the season started so we'll we'll see i mean crosby i mean just comparing other times we've seen go or let's go back to, to when mcdavid was off the ice i mean mcdavid got up finished the shift went to the bench and then all of a sudden he's told to go off crosby was down on the ice like, i don't know if you saw it warren mulvey our studio producer this evening i mean he was down on the ice face first for a, a while I mean, probably a minute, maybe a little longer. And then he, the trainer came out. He kind of rolled over slowly. I mean, it was a process for him to turn himself over, sit up, get up, and then kind of just glide to the bench and go to the dressing room. Yeah, and whether Niskanen meant to or not, he, he put a lot of weight into it. You know, I... I don't. I don't know if I want to get to. But well, I mean, it's going to be debated because I've already seen some some stuff on Twitter about it. And Darcy just uh, texting in. He says, "I'm not sure the hit to the head was intentional. No doubt he was going to cross check Crosby, but the slide created the headshot. That's all fair. Crosby's head was lower down, but I think the way it's going to be ruled in that case and why he was ejected from the game, it's it's the whole thing. Now you don't blame the victim." The player delivering the blow is responsible for, you know, whether it's a stick or an elbow or jumping or a headshot. So even if the player's head is a little lower down, then it usually would be, you know, if he's crouched or falling, it's still up to the guy delivering the blow to make sure he's avoiding head contact. Uh, you, you could probably debate there whether or not Niskanen deserved five in a game. But it, it definitely was a penalty, and I think because there was an injury involved, that's that's going to make it worse as well. The Capitals, by the way, did dress seven defensemen tonight, so it won't affect uh, their rotation too much on the back end. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye to see if Crosby returns. We got this game on the tube here again. It is the only NHL game uh, this evening. We'll keep you updated on a couple other scores as well. The Raptors starting their first round playoff series in Cleveland. It's not going well. Cleveland by 14 at the half, 62-48. The Blue Jays, however, leading the Yankees 2-0. That one is in the bottom of the fourth. All right, so we got the Oilers. Uh, they didn't practice today. Had a brief uh, meeting, and uh, some guys worked out if they wanted to. No one on the ice. They'll practice again tomorrow. They're trying to bounce back 6-3. I mean, they allowed the first three goals of the game, and then the last three. They tied it only briefly in the second period. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. Yeah, but it's called the playoffs, and the other team uh, gets in the way sometimes. They take it up a notch, you uh, you make mistakes, and they capitalize. See, when you get to, to eight, and you get to four, and you get to two, uh, the teams that you're playing against are very good, and they have players that capitalize on errors where uh, teams that have been out for a while 
uh, maybe don't do that as often, and that's why you get down to eight, four, and two. Um, so we've got to limit the amount of mistakes that we make. Uh, we've got to be prepared to start again. Um, we're learning lessons as we go. We've talked a lot about that, and um, you know we've got to uh, we've got to recover here, just like we did in the in the uh, San Jose series. We're no we're in the exact same spot, and uh, although it feels a little more like doom and gloom. Um, you know, I don't know if that's uh, from the way we played or if that's the, uh, the feel I get from uh, the line of questioning that I'm, that I'm answering, but uh, we're in the exact same spot as we were against San Jose, and I think we answered that with a 7 nothing blowout, so we may even be in a better spot, but we've got to respond. All right, so there's Todd McClellan, and yeah, the Oilers were up 2-1 in that San Jose series. They were coming off back-to-back shutout wins in that series, and then were trounced 7-0 by the Sharks. So I think McClellan there suggesting that uh, they're not likely to lose a 7-0 game four for the second series in a row. But, you know, he's he's keeping the, the whole steady approach that we've talked about. He, he kind of said, well, he did say everybody's acting like uh, it's doom and gloom, and he said it's not. It's it's one playoff loss against a very good team and a team that capitalizes on mistakes. And I was going back and watching the the Oilers goals again and I mean this this is what this is what you hope the Oilers see when they watch the film today and tomorrow when they look at some more, watch the video and and they look at it and say that's not us because there were some extremely negligent moments in that game for the Oilers. There were some plays where they didn't look aware, where they didn't look detailed, and that's unusual for the team. And I think one of the strengths of the Oilers is, and of any good team, is that they they make you beat them. If you're going to make a good play and execute it well, okay, sometimes that's going to happen. And, and, and Anaheim did that. They did the sneaky change with the long pass to get the first goal. Okay, they pulled it off perfectly. Exactly how they drew it up. Second goal, Dreisaitl gives it away just inside the blue line. McDavid does a flyby on the guy who winds up getting the puck instead of going right at him. Turns up, uh, turns out to be a goal. Third goal, that's when Darnell Nurse fired it up the wall. There was no Oiler there. Getzlaff picks it up, walks in, puts it away. That's Nurse just not concentrating and taking a moment to look around. Uh, fourth goal, you know, pretty much the everybody allowed the Ducks easy an easy route through the neutral zone. And then you had Clefbaum and Benning really sagging in. Puck goes over to Wagner, and that's a shot. You know, we, we may never see Talbot let in again. It's going way wide, and he puts his blocker out, and he goes in. Fifth goal. I mean, you have the zone entry where they reviewed it for offside, but McDavid, Everly, Clefbaum, all soft at the blue line, basically observing the Anaheim player. Carry the puck in. Sixth goal. Uh, you know, I know Everly's getting picked on for this one. He was at the line. Didn't get it out, you know, didn't win the battle along the wall, wasn't hard enough on the puck, winds up in the net again. So those are all details the Oilers have gotten better at taking care of that they simply neglected. I mean, Anaheim's going to make plays. Anaheim is a good team. They are going to make plays. They are going to get goals by making good plays that sometimes you have to give them credit for. If you hand them scoring opportunities and extra puck possessions, you're going to give up six. And that's what happened. Here's Patrick Maroon. It's easy fixes, I think. And uh, for us, we just got to continue what we're doing. We can't really stress on what happened last night or what happened in game two. I think for us, we just got to find ways to just play our game now. We got to play with that confidence we've been playing with all year. And 
got to find ways to bounce back again. We, we've been a good bounce back team all year this year, and I think uh, this is a good time to do that in game four. All right, so there's Patrick Maroon. We'll continue talking about that. We'll discuss potential lineup changes, maybe take a look at what this the playoffs have told us about where the Oilers are in general. You can also call in 780-496-0063. Someone has texted 630-630. Uh, hey, Reed, Raptors' first game of the second round. That is correct. What did I say, Warren? Did I say the wrong round or the wrong game? I think you said the wrong round. It is the second round. All right, so there we go. Thanks for uh, someone catching me. I I often can't trust what I say. 618 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. That's Ward Mulvey on the base. Thanks for bringing your base to work, buddy. No problem, man. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. 622 inside sports on 630 Chet. <laughs> Ward Mulvey laying down a baseline. Is that is that, uh, is that Faith No More? Was that that song? That's right. We care a lot. That was I we thought, care a lot. I thought it was appropriate. Right. Well, yeah, people care a lot about the Oilers. That's good. It's a fun time of year, baby. Uh, we'll also have Eskimos head coach Jason Moss on the show tonight. That'll be fun. From uh, Eskimos having their uh, camp down in Las Vegas, so he'll give us the update on that one. Got a text here from Corey who says, Good evening, Reed. I think the hit on Crosby is and should be suspendable. Players are responsible for conducting clean checks. I do think, however, that the NHL needs to take some responsibility. There is this unwritten rule that come the playoffs, anything goes. The officiating has been as bad and inconsistent as I have ever seen. Look at the abuse that McDavid has taken so far in the playoffs. As long as the rule book is subject to how the officials choose the game should go, players will push the limit until someone is hurt. That is from Corey. Corey, that's a well-thought-out message. It it is a very interesting debate, and I, I don't know if... If, if in our lifetimes it's ever going to not be discussed, I mean, I think, I think especially with... I think especially with the NHL and the NBA, there is the sense that the game is officiated differently in the playoffs. I, I don't know if football really changes, and I don't know if baseball really... I mean, there's not much you can do about a ball or a strike. It's, it should be the same in April as it is in October. Um, but certainly in hockey, the contact increases, the intensity increases, the stuff of the weight from the puck increases. You know, players don't take, you know, there's not maybe not going to be a quiet night where you got a, a, a 4-2 game with three minutes left and maybe both teams coast to the finish line, whereas in the playoffs, every second, every shift, you're trying to, you know, be aggressive and shift momentum or prove you're not going to be pushed around. So uh, I would love it if the game was officiated the same way. I, I, I guess part of it is is that if the refs called everything in the playoffs, then we'd probably be getting complaints from other people who would say, How, why are there so many penalties, right? Maybe all the people who said who were saying just call the rule book as the rule book would be happy. And then you'd have other people saying, wait a minute, I don't want four-on-four four or four-on-three hockey for 45 minutes of the game. I, I will say this. I, I know a lot of you are upset about the abuse McDavid is taking. 
I think that generally the refs have, you know, it's a tough job. They are the best refs in the league. There's a lot of junk going on out there that's, you know, sometimes it's difficult to enforce. The only thing that has really bugged me, and I, I don't, I don't mind if you call me a homer because, first of all, I'm basing this on my observations. Second of all, I think both Rob and I on several shows throughout the year have pointed out when the Oilers have benefited from bad calls by officials. And third of all, working in Edmonton, you're darn right I'm going to be in favor of Edmonton teams and athletes, whether they play hockey, football, rugby sevens, boxing, volleyball, or whatever. So keep that in mind. If the Edmonton sports radio host can't go to bat for Edmonton athletes, who's going to do it? The Eastern media? Okay, now that we've established that, I am going to say this and risk sounding like a homer. The stuff Ryan Getzlaff has gotten away in this series is insane. He tackled McDavid in one of the games in Anaheim, and he blatantly tripped Ryan Nugent Hopkins twice yesterday on one occasion where Nugent Hopkins was going to get a scoring chance from a grade A area of the ice. And then those are the ones that bother me. You know, the fact that every little slash or push or cross-check behind the play or in a scrum isn't called... I know sometimes it's frustrating, or when they pull one guy out, it's frustrating. But I can, as an observer of the game, I can live with that. And if I'm watching a game as a complete third party with really no interest in who wins or no connection to either city, then most of the time I'm probably like, okay, that happens. But if I'm watching whoever, the St. Vincent School for Poorly Coordinated Boys against, you know, the Florida... Gators lacrosse team and a, and a player trips another player in the slot like that, I look at that and say in that moment, in that exact moment, the two referees on the ice were blatantly incompetent. So that's all I have to say about that. 628, Elvis is on the phone line. You can text 630-630. It's Inside Sports on Chet. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. So it's McDavid, Crosby, and Bobrovsky, the finalists for the Hart Trophy. Capitals up 1-0 on the Penguins after the first period in Game 3. Sidney Crosby leaving that game after taking a cross-check to the head from Matt Niskanen. Raptors trailing Cleveland, 76-62. Halfway through the third quarter, game one of their second round series. Blue Jays, who've uh, actually won a couple in a row, up 2-1 on the Yankees. That's in the bottom of the fifth in New York. Your scoreboard for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can call 310-GLASS today. I'm Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Jason Moss will join us a little bit later on. Head coach of your Edmonton Eskimos. See what's going on with with their camp in Vegas. And obviously a bit of a... Difficult last month, I'm sure, for Jason. One of his, uh, you know, guy he's close to, Ed Hervey, loses his job. But coming in as the new GM, a guy Jason would know from their time together with the Ottawa Red Blacks, Brock Sunderland. 7804960063. We have Elvis on the line. Hello, Elvis. 
Reed, you know, I, I, I'm so glad that, that uh, you, you came out today and, and you, you stated that, that you're a fan of this, this team that you, you cover and you uh, represent. And you know what? I mean, you, you, guys are in, you guys go in those dressing rooms at times, I'm sure, when uh, no one would want to be in there when they're on a losing streak or stuff happens. And I'm sure you guys have some type of relationship with those guys, which is fantastic. But the rule thing, which gets me, how Gary Bettman wants to attract more Americans to the game. They don't understand the game, and this confuses the crap out of them. You change it. Like it just changes that playoff time. And look at Crosby tonight. Did you see that play already, Elvis? I, I didn't see it. I, I, I've just been listening to you guys on the way home, and I'm just like, it's g- going to happen sooner or later. And I mean, like, this guy has had nothing but concussion problems to begin with, and that, that is just crazy. You're going to lose a guy of his magnitude because of something like this that they because the players can't police themselves they've made that evident you know they're they're not there's for whatever reason they're not smart enough to say hey let's not do this it's just crazy yeah well yeah i'm curious i'm sure you'll call me back tomorrow when once you see the crosby play i mean it's not like niskanen went around head hunting him yeah you know like it happened pretty fast and crosby was was a little lower down than he would usually be but like i said you're still responsible for what you do with your stick in your hands and, you know, there's that whole thing about premeditation. Well, I mean, players are used to playing the game at an incredible speed. So if you can all of a sudden snap a puck that bounces off your skate to the top corner, I mean, you kind of yeah. know where your hands are w- when you're hitting a guy. You know, and, yeah. and Niskanen, there was a bit of a follow-through there. I'm sure it'll be looked at. He's already been thrown out of the game. But it's tough, Elvis. I mean, I mean I'm in my 40s, and I'm talking about the same things I used to hear John Short talk about when I was eight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just. Well, you know, I'm I'm in I, I'm in my fifties, and and I, I I love I love the game of hockey, but I just don't understand why uh, so called call it call it not the playoffs. It's a it's a tournament, and this tournament it it totally switches, and the rules change. And like you said, Getzlaff, how does he get away with the stuff he's getting? Has he earned that right? I don't think so. I don't at all. I'll finish on one thing though, Reed. Uh, I wanted to talk about McDavid and his contract just really quickly. Sure. I wouldn't be surprised if he signed for if he signed for nine point seven million a year. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know Jim Matheson speculated like that too, or maybe for whatever it would be ninety seven million over eight years. I I don't know if he's superstitious with the number like Crosby is, because Crosby was born on August seventh, nineteen eighty seven. Right, eight seven eighty seven. And the contract is always eight point seven. We'll we'll see if they do something kind of poetic with the with the ninety seven. Um, he's, he's, he's been a big fan of Sid though, and he's kind of you know I I just kind of you know my son actually brought it up to me, and I went that's a great point. I, I wonder if you do that. I don't think he's going to have worry about. Uh, I'd like to see what type of other incentives that he'll get from the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, when he scored that epic goal the other night, just a great move. And you look up at the stands, and you can see Wayne Gretzky standing up with their hands in the air for you, the greatest, arguably the greatest player in the world, doing that for you. What would ever make you want to leave this city? Well, he's probably going to be the highest paid player in the game, and uh, you know that that's fine. And it is interesting because Edmonton's a hockey mad market anyway, but it's still he's taken it to another level, and it really makes. And I know the Oilers have had other first overall picks. They weren't on the level of McDavid. I mean, he's like no. Crosby or LeBron or, you know, guys that were taken first overall that you just knew were going to transform uh, a, a franchise. And so far, so far, so good, regardless of how they do here the rest of the playoffs. Elvis, good to hear from you. 
You betcha. I'm going to check out that hit, and uh, great job, and I'll talk to you later, my friend. All right, that's Elvis checking in. Appreciate it. 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Cal says on the text line, Hi, Reed. I've watched a lot of playoff hockey games in my time, and I can honestly say that this year's playoffs is by far the worst officiating I've ever witnessed, not just the Oilers games, but in all the games. Very inconsistent and a lot of bad calls, and it's very sad to say that the NHL is supposed to, I repeat, supposed to have the best officials in the world. Let's just hope it gets better as the playoffs continue. That is from uh, Cal, not just commenting on Oilers games, but commenting on all games. The officials are always easy targets. I, I, I try not to just come on the air and say, well, let's bait the officials and run them down because it's easy to do but I, I do think there are some circumstances where they should be criticized and I think the Getzlaff trips on Nugent Hopkins are a couple of those cases so you know I, I think I, that's that's my observation I mean I'm just I'm just being honest and, and I, I think and the Oilers aren't innocent of stuff I mean somebody texted in well Connor has been cross-checking and giving slashes back he has sure no no doubt about it and so that's what the refs have to decide. How much of a... Uh, if they see Kessler give a little whack on the ankle and Connor give a little slash back to Kessler's pants, are they going to call the coincidental slash? Or are they going to let the play go on? And that that's, that's why they're refs, because they're paid to decide that. And if they're working in the playoffs in the second round, the league has decided they're the best at making those decisions. It's just, you know, those obvious like an obvious trip in the slot. It's just mind-boggling to me that isn't called. And an obvious trip where Nugent Hopkins is skating through the neutral zone, has beaten Getzlaff, who's directly behind. I don't know I don't know how many of you remember this, but I, I know there are a fair number of people in my age range probably listening. I'm 43. Did anybody own in television hockey? Warren Mulvey has no idea what I'm talking about. And television was a video game system, and it was three-on-three hockey, and the graphics by today's standards were Stone Age. But there, you couldn't really body check a guy, but if you could skate up next to a guy and press the shoot button, and you'd swing your stick, and you could just trip a guy that way. I mean, that's what it looked like Getzlaff did to Nugent Hopkins on that one play. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Now I've got a lot of people. If there, if there are any NHL officials listening tonight, I sort of apologize. So I got a lot of people texting in now. All right. Here's a transition to what we want to talk about. Thanks to Stephen to texting because I wanted to get to this. Hey, Reed, I understand Eberle isn't putting up points these playoffs, but how can people say he's getting lots of ice time? He's averaging like 14 minutes, which is a career low, and playing second power play minutes, not number one anymore. So with him struggling this year and still putting up 20 goals isn't horrible in my opinion. If he was still on the number one unit, I think he'd be closer to his 25-goal mark. Just my opinion, but yes, he needs to pick it up but I'm not ready to run him out of town. That is from Stephen, texting 630-630. And I'm glad you brought that in because I wanted to transition into some of the discussions about ice time and some of the habits of some of the Oilers players, maybe some of the characteristics that they have that maybe you're not going to change. Uh, McClellan did have this to say today. You're probably talking about ice time, I think, right, and, and uh, rotating people around. Uh, it's about getting the, the next win. So we'll move players around as uh, in a motivational way, um, trying to get something out of them. Yes, we'll do that. Um, 
you know, we've, we're looking for responses probably from three or four different guys. And if we can get those, then we'll be in good shape. All right. So I, I, and I think, and you know what? I, I Probably McClellan is including McDavid and the players that needed a response in the next game. I, I mean, I know he got a goal. I don't think, and McClellan was kind of asked about it today, that McDavid's going to have to watch some video and that he's so keen to improve. He'll probably take care of all of it before McClellan even gets to him. Um, but here's the one thing I would say to all you guys, and I'm sure most of you have watched the Oilers as much as I have this season. And you can tell me if you disagree with me, because I know the identity of the Oilers that McClellan wants, and they had it painted in the dressing room last year at Rexall Place, was fast, hard, supportive. And I think we've all come to understand what those things mean to McClellan and what they can mean to the team. But I, I would sum up the, Mc, the McClellan mantra like this. Everybody checks. In two words, everybody checks. If you're going to play for Todd McClellan, you have to check. And what has he said? Play over top of the puck. Get inside the, uh, the other team's equipment. You know, and you've seen the Oilers do it better. Where they're when they're playing well, they're initiating the body contact. They're getting a shoulder down low, or they're getting their hip and butt in there on a guy a split second before they're at the puck. They're not waiting to arrive at it to get that body position. And they didn't. They didn't take care of that yesterday. And and I think. You know that that's that's the key, I think, for how the Oilers can play. Because if everybody checks, and it doesn't have to be thundering body checks, it doesn't have to be you know charging at a guy, it doesn't have to rattle the glass, but it has to be correct body position, either in a puck battle or stationing yourself, you know, in a in a proper zone or man-to-man coverage to to limit your opponent's access to the net. And the Oilers were extremely negligent and hesitant in, in that regard yesterday. All right, so we, we established that everybody has to check. And Jordan Eberle, if we're going to discuss him, I thought checked fairly well in the San Jose series. But it's been interesting with that line. Because what's been the dialogue all through the season? Warren, you've worked inside sports and watched enough games to know yourself. That if the second line scored... Specifically, Nugent Hopkins, Everly, and Lucic. If if they got offensive production, oh my God, what could this team do? Well, what happened over the final quarter of the season, maybe even a little longer, they started playing a little better. They started hitting the score sheet. The Oilers finished the season 12-2. and two. And I think that, they, that the fact that they were producing more was a huge part of it. Now, against San Jose, the points weren't there, but I, I think the checking was there. And I think Nugent Hopkins led the way in that regard. And quite frankly... I think Nugent Hopkins has been playing very well. And I know some of you say, well, he has to score. I agree. He, he has to score. But I think he's doing a lot of other things well, a lot of details well. And, and that's why I place value on what he's doing. Now, the, the, the knock on Eberle is that he has, too many, has had too many games in his career like last night. And I think now those types of games stand out more because you have more players committed to checking, right? So if Everly's not getting in there on the puck and he's not hitting the score shot score sheet with a snipe or something like that, then yes, he's going to be he's going to be criticized. I mean, David DeHarnay doesn't play a lot. He had a better game last night than Jordan Everly. He set up a goal. At least he can make some plays with the puck. And you know, he he's a little guy, but he works hard to get body position. So, so all right, so. And you're not going to turn some of the players that, you know, whether it's Everly or whoever, you're not going to turn everybody into a big net crasher. 
But you have to have that checking mentality. So now that leads, and then guys, I know I'm getting a lot of texts. I'll, I'll catch up on that. I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. So now the question is, all right, so you want a response, probably from Everly, probably from McDavid, probably from Maroon, uh, even though he got a goal. He, he was okay. Probably from Lucic. You know, I think a couple defensemen obviously had off nights. Okay, so you want responses from these guys. Let's think about the forwards. The, and I know a lot of people on, uh, calling overtime open line last night and texting in said you you got to demote Everly. you got to demote Everly. And, th- and this is where I, I, I struggle with, with a black or white decision on that because you, I, I think the guy to go up and play in the top six with however they formulate the lines would be Anton Slepyshev because he can shoot the puck okay, he's shown better speed bursts, and he's shown a determination to get to the net, right? The thing is, if, if you move Eberle down... You know, as the one texture mentioned, he's on the second power play unit, so sometimes you only get 30 to 50 seconds on a power play, and he doesn't kill penalties. And then if he doesn't check well, if he has a game where he's not checking well on the fourth line, then, you know, what is he playing six minutes of five on five? You know, or eight minutes, eight minutes total? So I don't know if they're going to push him down that far. I, I, I just don't know if that's the solution. I, I, I still think they might ride him out and, and and give him a shot because that's McClellan has left that line together most of the second half of the, most of the year, quite frankly. You can tell me what you think. I'll catch up on your texts. 630-630-780-496-0063 is the phone number. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, still 1-0, Pittsburgh leading Washington. They're about four and a half minutes into the second period. Crosby uh, hit to the head by Niskanen. It was hit by Niskanen in the, in the head in that game. He's uh, out. Niskanen was thrown out of the game. We'll keep an eye on that one. Oilers-Ducks Wednesday, 6 o'clock face-off show, 8 o'clock puck drop here on 6.30. Chet, Connor McDavid nominated for the Hart Trophy. Crosby and Bobrovsky are the other finalists. Okay. Gordo says, was it me or were the Oilers not hitting as much? I think that's true. It wasn't just you. Uh, this texture says Jordan Eberle is the most overpaid player in the league. He's so soft and constantly does flybys. He's got a soft stick check while standing still. He doesn't belong on this hard-hitting team. He ruins the top minutes that can be used by someone who can hit. That's a text of 63630. Uh, Craig says, Reed, Eberle has done nothing to earn any positive ice time, does not hit, is not emotionally charged into the game. Come on, it's your first time to the playoffs. How are you not flying and playing with a ton of emotion? That is from Craig. Well, you know, here. Uh, oh, here's another text. Uh, who says I think it's time for Kara and Hendricks to get in before it's too late in place of Everly and Pouliot. Okay, see, I I, I disagree with that, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you, I I don't look. I, I know depth impact players have impact, and you have to have depth guys doing well. And sometimes you're going to have a Cassian get a big goal or Slepyshev scoring a breakaway, but. The, the big guys who get the most ice time are going to have to step up. And, and you're not going to put in Matt Hendricks in place of Jordan Everly. I, I mean, it just... So, so say you have... Set this, say Everly plays 16 minutes. You know, I, Matt Hendricks ha- has played 
In two of the last three games he played, he played under 10 minutes in a game. He played 13 and a half against the Vancouver Canucks in a meaningless game at the very end of the season. Like, you know, Matt Hendricks is going to work hard. Like, okay, maybe you'd put him in on the fourth line. um, But I just don't, you know, I don't think he has the speed that that is that is needed night after night and and look why don't we I know we all love the guy and I mean Jujar Kara lot of potential are you going to throw him into the playoffs I I don't I don't see it happening if the if the lines are different if the if the top 12 forwards are different tomorrow then fine you'll I'll be the you guys know I'll be the first one to admit that I'm wrong but I I don't I I, I don't see that manner of substitute like you're not going to take Eberly out and put Kara in like that that doesn't to me that doesn't make any sense. I, I will say this, and the people who wrote in about Everly hitting, and I think what's happened is is that the team has been transformed. It's a it's a deeper team. It's a team that does play a harder hitting, heavier type game, to use one of the buzzwords that everybody's using nowadays. So therefore the players who don't do that consistently stand out a little more, right? And if everybody's crashing the net and getting in on the forecheck and playing hard on the other team's bodies and sticks, then yes, you notice that a little more. What I also think we're seeing here, and I'm going to talk really big picture here, and I've been trying not to... I've been trying not to talk big picture during the playoffs because I don't think this is the time of year necessary to talk contracts or talk what's going to happen down the road. But just think about this. You know, we've talked about this before. Four tiers of teams in the NHL. There's a very small top tier of probably three to six teams, depending on the season, that are legitimately complete, well-built Stanley Cup favorites. Then you got a second tier of teams that are pretty good, solidly in the playoffs, but if they're going to win the Stanley Cup, they need a couple things to really go well for two months to win in the playoffs and I think the Oilers are in that category you know if they were to get depth scoring and Talbot stands on his head for two months they could do it if McDavid lights it up and Talbot stands on his head for a couple months they could do it or you know Talbot's good I think you need the goaltending or the special teams are incredible they, they could do it and there's other teams in that category then you got the third tier of teams that to me are bubble teams that barely get in or barely miss the playoffs. And then the fourth tier is where the Oilers have been for the last seven years, really, where you're just out of it by November 30th. Okay? So the Oilers have played that way into the second tier. And I think we've seen in the playoffs, as, as positive as this year has been, we've seen why they're solidly entrenched in the second tier. That is, they're not quite consistent enough in executing their coaches and general managers' vision, either because they have players who aren't yet able to perform it because they're young, or players who just are unable to execute it because of their skill set and or their history and or their stubbornness. And I th- and I think that if you're going to be a Stanley Cup team, you probably need two third lines, basically. You know, you need, a, you need a fourth line that on most teams would be a third line. So you need a one, a two, a three, and a three A. Or you maybe are like a Penguin situation or a Chicago situation where you have two top players you can put on different lines. You have a one, a one A, and a three, and a solid four. The Oilers pretty much have a one, two, three, and four, which is a heck of a lot better than when they were when they used to have a second line and three fourth lines. But I think there's still a... a couple players away from the 
true composition to be a top-tier team where you wouldn't be asking some of the questions about them that you're asking tonight. You can text 63630. We have Theo Fleury next. Yeah, we're going to get Theo Fleury on the line next. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News, and on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.